Hello, everybody, and welcome again to the Good Trash Genre Cast, where we gather around a table and we discuss the films you'll never discuss in a film studies course. This week is Christopher Nolan's The Prestige. That's perhaps lesser Nolan, perhaps greatest Nolan. Depending on who you ask, yeah, opinions yeah. vary. Uh, this kind of a, uh, what would you call this, a prologue, an epilogue to our uh, How We good. Never Covered? Yeah, yeah. it's the uh, kind of redemption battle. We put the uh, the four uh, losing finalists together, and this eked out the Babadook, uh, as well as Booksmart and Sixth Sense. So we're here to talk to Prestige, which was the finalist against uh, uh, The Truman Show in week one. Oh, that's right. So, so. consolation prize winner, The yeah. Prestige. Surprised once again to see the Babadook lose. It was close. It was close. It was. It was. It, was it, like a, it was probably point. a two-vote difference, so here we are. Here we are indeed. In case you're tuning into the Good Trash Honor cast for the very first time, we want to let you know, dear listener, this is an analysis show, not a review show, and that does indeed mean there will be spoilers, and this is a plotty movie. It's got a twisty twist at the end. It's got a prestige, you might even say. It makes a move like a magic trick there, and so uh, we'll we'll save that abracadabra spoilage to the end of the show, but in the meantime, we'll give a synopsis, which will be, I think, spoiler-free. I don't know, but I assume so. I'm really, actually, I'm doing, wait, I'm I'm getting a sense right now. Um, I'm seeing, I'm seeing, no spoilers. Um, I'm doing magic here. I, I saw that. We'll have yeah. to see what happens. Uh, and uh, then we'll do our thumbs up, thumbs down reviews, which will be gentle in the spoilerificness. It's like a coin trick. Then it gets a little rough, and maybe a bird might die when we expand the syllabus, in which uh, we uh, talk about how we might do this movie in a class. And then somebody, uh, Harry Houdini, will get punched in the stomach and die of appendicitis at the end. Uh, that's what's spo- that's, what's, that's my death of spoilers. Yeah, well, I'll have to show everybody where I keep all of my secret knots. Yes, um, that'll happen at the end when we get down to business, and they'll be kicking music to let you know that that is the case. So, without any further ado, uh, Mr. Arthur Gordon, um, I'm, I wanted to call you Voice of the Cinema. It's been so long, and that was like in my head and on my lips at that moment. Kind of magician-y, yeah, I see. Mr. Arthur Gordon, if you would, sir, um, dazzle us with a synopsis. Uh, this one is from IMDb. I got lazy this week. After a tragic accident, two stage magicians engage in a battle to create the ultimate illusion while sacrificing everything they have to outwit each other. That's true. That's yes. true. It is a contest of wills, and uh, we'll talk more about that in a moment. So, again, we've all seen the movie before, I assume, yes? Yeah. Oh, and yeah. so yeah. Um, I'm curious as its rewatchability without spoilers, of course, but let's hear what we all think about the movie. Arthur, I'm going to you first, cowboy. Yeah, uh, I I like the Prestige a lot. Um, when you talk about best Nolan, worst Nolan, it's it's probably my favorite Nolan. Um, I I dig it quite a bit. I think uh, everything you need to know about Nolan as a filmmaker is right here in the text. Uh, in just about every regard, his shortcomings, his strengths, uh, all of it is right here. And if you were to make a case as Christopher Nolan as a tour, I think this is the best you know text to go with. Um, probably followed by Inception. Uh, we can talk about that maybe later in analysis because he does have those through lines that I think. Uh, or identifiable in his work, uh, but for me, this is uh, it's so enjoyable. Uh, I, I, it's hard to remember Chris Nolan before all caps. Christopher Nolan presents, you know, uh, Dark Knight Rises is his, yeah. his next movie, or Tenet. Dark Knight is his next movie, and yeah, li- living in this tenant will save the movie's world. You're absolutely right. It is kind of hard to remember that, that the you know this movie didn't do well, right? This yeah. is his, his Batman Begins follow up, uh, and it's about a period piece about magicians. Like, yeah, it gets smoked out by the other period piece of, uh, about magicians with Ed Norton. Yeah, and so I, I dig it quite a bit. I mean, it's just a 
an amazing cast, and we see his kind of recurring players. But we got Hugh Jackman, we got Christian Bale, Michael Caine, uh, Rebecca Hall, Ferguson. I always forget Hall. Hall uh, I was right the first time. Um, you know, Scarlett Johansson, uh, a, a bit of Piper Perabo, uh for a brief bit. Um, David Bowie shows up. It's it's a hoot. It's a good time. Uh, I think he does a good job. Uh, I think he co-wrote this with Jonathan. I can't remember if Jonathan worked yes. on this one. But, uh, you know, they, they construct a pretty good plot, I think. Um, I don't have a lot of negative to say. I, lo- I love the period piece. I love the costuming. I love the, the set. I love this back-and-forth battle of the magicians. I think that's a lot of fun. It plays really well. I think Jackman's, you know, spiral into madness is is just played very well. Um, it's fun to see him in this when we did Prisoners this year, which kind of has a similar uh, echo to it. Uh, Christian Bale's obviously always great. Um, and the way this all comes together works so well for me. I, I get so frustrated, though, in the the last 30 minutes uh, because this movie does such a great job of constructing this plot that works on several layers. Um, and everything's available for the audience to construct the pieces. And I think he undervalues that and undermines that in the final 30 minutes where he has everybody explain exactly what happened. Yeah. And I think that just cuts straight through the spirit of this movie in, in such a underwhelming and undermining way. Uh, and I think that speaks to the Nolans, plural, um, I think, thought process of their movies are smarter than their audience. And I don't think that's true. And I think it, it just hurts uh, the movie's momentum uh, because everything up to that point is is really well done. And that prestige pulls off so well. And then for him to just sit there uh, pull out a chalkboard and explain everything that happens is just stupid. Um, that being said, I, I love this movie. I, I think that period, of, I, I love Insomnia, Batman, you know, the whole trilogy is great. Uh, but The Prestige, I think, just kind of stands out as this unique uh, piece in his filmography that is in the past, while also speaking to his proclivities as a uh, director and filmmaker and a lot of that meta textual stuff is very evident. Uh, and I think that's what makes Inception such an interesting pairing. Uh, with it um so yeah you know outside of that last 30 40 minutes uh where it it takes a step back or two uh, i i think it's a lot of fun i think it's easy to follow these kind of shifting timelines where we're flashing back and flashing back and we're reading this journal and we're reading that journal there's a lot of voiceover that works though um and so i'm a big fan I, i i like it quite a bit i i really like magic anyway i don't know if you guys know that uh, I love uh, illusions. I love uh, street magic. I love watching it, uh, and we'll get into that in my syllabus because I watched a lot this weekend. Nice uh, of magic stuff, and so uh, for that alone, you know, this idea of illusion is battling. It's a lot of fun for me, and so the game of one upmanship plus those themes of revenge and you know being lost to that that bloodlust and trying to constantly better the other person, you know, best the other person. I should say. Uh, really fun so i i think all that's handled really well and ultimately it's, it's a two thumbs up for me I, I really like the prestige very good very good thank you very much for that mr arthur gordon mr dalton stewart what do you think of the prestige well uh to prep for the show i actually re-listened to uh blank checks coverage of this when they were doing their their nolan miniseries and um, some similar points that you made uh arthur are echoed there about just kind of how this is a very much a, a real er nolan uh film uh, Nolan's film, you could say, because yeah, I think a lot of the things that people don't like about season two of Westworld, I think some of those tendencies from Jonathan's structures uh, kind of can be seen here. That coldness, uh, emotionally speaking, that that attempt to go go for the heartstrings, even though you know maybe some some legwork wasn't necessarily earned. That stuff's all there. 
Um, but yeah, I, I'm right there with you, Arthur. The craft of this is really great. There's some wonderful imagery here. I mean, Wally Pfister's cinematography is, is pretty lights out. Um, that image of the uh, the snowy uh, landscape with light bulbs, that's great. I mean, come yeah. on, that's cool. Uh, the Top Hat Garden, that's funny. I love it. Christian Bale with a goatee, really funny. I like that a lot. It's just, yeah, it's good imagery uh, throughout. I, this watch, though... Uh, Arthur, you know, you talked about the bloodlust and, and that kind of that those really, I would say, well-established narrative stakes. Um, while I think it's constructed well, it's just, I don't know, it didn't, it didn't do it for me. Uh, maybe it is the 2020 of it all, but a, a movie about obsession uh, in this regard. I was just kind of like, let it go, you big babies. Get over it. Stop. Just quit. One of you needs to stop. Or one of the, well, we won't get into that yet. Uh, but I do like this movie quite a bit. I think the performances are fun. I, I think, again, Arthur, uh, the, the tendency of the film to show you exactly what it's doing from literally the first frame of the film, the are you watching closely, I think you're right. That's, that's undercut by that explanation. I don't, know, I don't know if it's them trying to even like double back again as, as yet another Ouroboros within the film where they're trying to like undercut the end of the film by explaining the magic trick of the film and trying to go, ha-ha, don't you see? We did made a good movie, and then the studio made us ruin it. I'm like, okay, what? I don't know. I'm right there with you, though. It does kind of take me out because I'm having fun seeing how the pieces fit together. I don't know that I really need them all laid out because they do such a good job. I mean, it is a, a well-constructed magic trick of a movie, and I think that kind of, as you said, that metatextual nature of it, a, a film that is... Uh, I get very, uh, I go back and forth, I should say, with movies about movie making. Um, I think kind of some of the inside baseball stuff can actually be more fascinating than it gets credit for, uh, although I see why those movies are boring uh, to some people. Um, but again, I go back and forth. I really like uh, Nolan's tendency, though, to make movies that are only kind of like tangentially about filmmaking or like in the subtext. I like that. I, I think that there's something fun there. Um, I, I know that you know, we're all supposed to have hot takes about Nolan one way or the other, and I'm I'm fairly Nolan agnostic. I like a lot of things about him. I like all of his movies very well. I don't think he's ever done anything worse than like a Gentleman Seven. Um, but yeah, I, for for me, this one uh, it's it always kind of rates in the middle of the pack for me. Looking at that that body of work, and um, I'm feeling it being in the middle of the pack on this rewatch. I guess for whatever reason, it didn't quite draw me in as, as some of his films can. Uh, but that said, I think the performances are great. As you mentioned, Arthur, everybody is. Uh, really having a great time. I think this film plays, and this is a, another observation from Blank Check, but I'm glad they brought it up. They play with Hugh Jackman's kind of uh, natural hamminess, his bigness, in a way that really works with him. As a, and I'm sure, you know, big part of why uh, the the Great Showman works for so many people is is his tendency to go theatrical in that way. Um, and again, I again the the comparisons between not only these characters of Tangier and, and Alfred, uh, but what was Borden. I can think of his last name. That tendency of of these actors and the characters, these, these overlaps, I think they're really interesting. You know, Bale as this technician, this serious method actor, acting's a dumb baby's job, so I'm going to take it super seriously. Jackman, the showman, and how that exists within the narrative of the film, I think is really interesting stuff. Like that's that's you know, it gets my my brain ping ponging around about how cool movies can be. Uh, but you know, as in terms of like just a, an experience watching, yeah, it's fine. It's good. I got on my phone more than I expected to. Um, and I, I tend to be a good boy about that when we're watching things for the show. But it is what it is sometimes. I do like that Bowie performance. It's fun. Uh, I like the use of Tesla. I think we'll probably talk more about that in analysis and how, how he figures into things. We'll probably talk more about some of the things that frustrate me about this movie, like all the dead ladies. Uh, but again, overall, uh, a solid movie. I'm not as hot on as Arthur 
today. Other times I love this movie, so who knows? Maybe next time I revisit it, I'll, I'll totally go for it. Dustin, where are you at with it today? I think it's really fun. I mean, and, and that's, you know, the bar uh, standard as far as, like, my appreciation of the film. Uh, the structural points that you point out, uh, Arthur, are absolutely right on. Because there is a gag early in the movie where it is explained that if you explain the trick, it's no longer any fun. It's not cool. Nobody it's likes it Nobody anymore. likes it. And they do it. And that's ridiculous. And so I, I, I tend to agree with you on that. A at the same time, I don't know how you get around some kind of reveal. At some point, uh, you know, there's going to be have to a degree of sort of pulling back the curtain that's going to be necessary for it. But the way in which they do it is a bit too much for Slow Joe in the third row. And I don't like that about it. Uh, but that being said, it's great film. Uh, well, again, uh, you guys have talked about it. Well photographed. Uh, Wally Fister is just awesome. Uh, all the uh, main cast are great. All the bit parts. Andy Serkis is fabulous. Uh, yeah, thank you for bringing him up. Uh, yeah, uh, Lord John Marbury of uh, West Wing fame. I forget the actual actor's name, uh, but the, uh, the, the whatever he is, the... Uh, was he one of the theater owners or a producer? No, or something? he's a, he's the attorney. He's a solicitor. Um, oh, okay. But yeah, he's yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. oh gosh, what is the word for it? He's the ambassador from the from Britain in the West gotcha. Wing. And uh, okay, he's fabulous. Um, and I just love seeing him. And other bit parts, the theater owners, great. Um, uh, the various investors are also really really interesting to see. Uh, just again, uh, and they have very very distinctive faces and types of performances. And I just I just love seeing all of that kind of stuff. Uh, in fact, uh, I was really taken aback because uh, the the gravelly kind of growly theater owner has a uh, a couple of appearances in a '90s. Uh, science fiction television show that I love a lot called Babylon 5 and uh, it's uh, under a lot of makeup and it's like I know that voice I know this guy and it took me a long time to figure out who I was thinking of but uh, anyway that being said the the movie itself though magic uh, the the technology race Edison versus Tesla all of that kind of stuff does the the sort of the cinematic subtext that goes along with Edison I think is you know interesting and and really well handled uh, that uh, it is a subtext of which the filmmakers are aware and they don't do too much of hey looky what I'm doing mm -hmm. which I think is great I just wish they could have maintained that with the actual you know sort of uh, narrative plot of the film but that being said I'm 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 probably the warmest in the room uh, really on the movie. Okay. I, I really like it a lot. And uh, just because I just find it so dang enjoyable mm -hmm. to watch. And so that's just where it comes down for me. Hey, Dustin. Yeah. Is Slow Joe in the third row in the third row because he was too slow to get to the show before all the good seats had to go? Uh, is, no, that's funny. Slow Joe in the third row is actually from a Louis B. Mayer quote. Um, oh, okay. That, that every time in a movie, you've got to say something three times. You've got to say it the first time, you've got to say it a second time so that everybody gets it, and then say it a third time for Slow Joe in the back row. Thank you. And so, yeah, that's that's actually a thing. Okay. So, uh, anyway, uh, my. Oh, I just thought of a funny rhyme and I wanted to say it. But that, also, I, I like the internal fiction that this guy uh, can't get his shit together. No. He's, yeah, he's got a bad seat because he uh, got to the movie late. Right, right. Uh, so, anyway, uh, there you go, dear listener. Those were our thoughts. They're generally warm, um, warmer in some places than others. Parboil, perhaps. Uh, slightly tepid elsewhere but we like the movie quite a lot and uh, let's move on into this little thought exercise that we like to call expanding the syllabus that's right dear listener we're going to pretend like we're teaching a class and we're using this movie as part of it what else what class is it how are we going about the module or section of, of what we're dealing with and what auxiliary 
or appendices would we use additional readings and or viewings to teach this um arthur i'm going to you first again because i know where you're going and i want to hear it now tell me more yeah so this would probably be either maybe part of a philosophy class or it could be a sociology class i think either one could overlap because of the nature of the the texts i've picked uh, I just I love illusion and, and close up magic and street magic. I just think it's fascinating, you know. It, even though I know it's all, uh, you know, quote unquote fake, if you will, it's all sleight of hand. It's all distraction. It's all misdirection. Uh, it's a lot of um, planting seeds and ideas. And I think that's really fun. I'm I'm sorry. What, what's that, Arthur? You don't believe that these uh, these fiends and capes and gloves consort with dark forces? I, I don't think so. There may be some, but I believe they're all on the up and up mm, in, in some regard. I, I met John Shackelford, Oklahoma City comedian, many times, and I'm not so sure about about some of these folk. <laughs> um, so yeah, I, I think it's just a hoot, and there's a lot of parallels there with wrestling and the, that theatricality. Obviously, this uh, protection of kayfabe, which is probably more important to magic even than wrestling, especially now, you know, kayfabe's dead in wrestling for the most part, but magic is, you know, threatened careers and being blackballed and all that fun stuff. Uh, so I'm going to go through here. Uh, the first one is classic David Blaine, uh, real or magic. This documentary is mm -hmm. a lot of fun. Uh, it's a lot of him doing tricks for different, uh, actors and entertainers as well as some, uh, regular Joe's on the street. Uh, but it's uh, got a great bit where he uh, does uh, some allusions with Harrison Ford, who is That's stoned out of his gourd. I was just about to ask, is this, yeah. is this what I think it's from? Yeah, yeah. this is where Harrison Ford says, get the fuck out of my yeah. house, right? Yeah, okay. it's a hoot. Uh, it's, it's just a blast. Um, and, you know, there's not much to it. He's just kind of meandering and, and doing tricks for people. But uh, it's, it's a good introduction into street magic and close-up magic. Uh, from there, I want to go with The Road Trick. This is magician Adam Trent. It used to be on Netflix. You can actually watch it on a streaming service called Red Bull TV for free. I guess everybody has a streaming uh, thing now. Uh, it's a web series where he actually uh, travels to different countries, uh, meets the locals, kind of incorporates himself into their daily life, and occasionally does illusions with them or does some kind of big uh, trick. But it's more of him just kind of navigating the world and connecting with people over magic. And to me, that's just something really human, just something really calming about uh, being with the people and sharing this gift with them. Uh, from there, I want to go into Justin Willman's Magic for Humans. This is a Netflix series. Yeah, I would be remiss to if, if I did mention that. Uh, yeah, I'm going to do the pennies drop. Some sorry, uh, I know somebody that worked on this. Uh, David Porter. Yeah, it's uh, it's fun to know people that work on things sometimes. Yeah, yeah. very very funny stuff. Uh, yeah, it's it's a fun show. It's got a lot of that kind of absurdist humor that you uh, kind of expect, and I think our current generation of comedians and, and some silliness in the editing and yeah. uh, fun stuff like that. But uh, the second and third seasons, which I, I binged this weekend, um, he really kind of gets philosophical about his own life and dealing with stuff like death and time and family. Uh, he's got an episode uh, called daddy issues and you know, he's got one uh, the second season ends uh, with him connecting with his mom, who I believe is early stages, dementia, or Alzheimer's. Oh, wow. And so there's some really uh endearing moments where he's sharing memories with her and does some magic with her. It's really cool. Um, and the third season kind of carries that over. He's kind of grappling with these large philosophical ideas and, and kind of com compelling that and combining that with his magic and the, the message that he's trying to uh, convey. And it's, it's really neat and it's a really easy watch. There's six or eight episodes each season. They're about 20 minutes. So it's real fun stuff. He does a lot of thought, uh, you know, uh, thought experiments and things like that as well and and just messing with people's minds and it's 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 really interesting i do love that that overlap between comics and magicians i mean obviously justin woman's not the only one that does both but it is i mean it's a similar performance right it's all oh, about yeah. controlling the room yep. and 
uh, being out there on a limb, and you're the it's kind of lives and dies on your yep. ability to sell what you're doing. Yeah. yeah, and he's you know his his kind of personality is a lot different than some other magicians because I think sure. of the comedy uh, stylings that he kind of does bring to the to the game. Uh, from there, I want to go with Darren Brown's Miracle Faith or Magic. Uh, I, I was doing some reading that Darren Brown's maybe not always up on the up and up, uh, kind of known to use stooges or camera tricks, but he does have a special uh, called Miracle uh, Faith or Magic wherein he recreates faith healing experiences uh, in a secular manner. <laughs> Fun. Yeah, nice. it's, it's really fascinating because he does a thing where he's like, okay, everybody stand up, close your eyes, and this music's going to sweep over you. Now, if you've been healed, come down. Mm. And he has several people come down, you know, and it's a really interesting, especially for me coming from an evangelical place and have been in some of these kind of services, you know, it, it's really interesting to see how that works. Whether or not he's, you know, how legit it is because of the kind of reputation he has as maybe not being so on the up and up. Uh, it still does some really interesting stuff, and I think there's some interesting theory to pull from that. I was about to say is I assume it's with this doc, and then those the second two seasons of Magic for Humans is that kind of where you're in a really would really get into like kind of the the group psychology of magic and like the the philosophy. Of, I like, think you really could, uh, especially how you know things and how how information shared is that kind of yeah, where you're going especially with Darren Brown's special, especially because uh, he sp- speaks a lot to how adrenaline impacts us and how pain can be just a thought. Mm. Uh, process or a condition of the mind rather than a physical ailment. He really gets into that, and I think there's some real interesting discussion there. Uh, I want to follow that with Death by Magic. This is Drummond Money Coots. Uh, this is another Netflix series you can watch, uh, wherein each week he goes and looks at the uh, death of a magician who died while performing a trick. Uh, and then at the end of the show, he tries to recreate that trick in his own grand way. Uh, but there's you know, just some history of magicians, uh, history of these tricks, also, uh, him just kind of coping with his own fears. The second episode is him doing an underwater trick, and he is uh, aquaphobic. He doesn't like water. He's mm. scared of water. Mm. And so there's mm. some of that, you know, and that's the kind of thing I've noticed with some of these other uh, specials or, or these magicians are trying to kind of work through their own phobias or fears or concerns. Uh, there's one that Justin Wilman does in this third season where he has uh, this fear of, uh, perf- you know, he has the dream of, being nude and performing, you know, and ah. he actually goes to a nudist colony to do magic, which is kind of fun. so funny. Yeah, it, it's uh, really interesting. Uh, and then I'm just going to wrap oh, this whole good. thing up uh, with a classic 90s special, which was uh, Breaking the Magician's Code, The Secret of Magic Revealed. Is this the Masked Magician? Oh, yes. yeah, 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 I remember this. This was a big deal on Fox, probably late 90s. I remember watching it, and I was just so enthralled because there was all this talk of he's going to reveal himself, and he could be blackballed, and there's a lot of performativity, but he uh, he really does an interesting... Ball- body builders hate this guy's hack yeah yeah yeah, yeah. love it uh and so he kind of reveals secrets to some of those really classic tricks you know like the uh song somebody in half or the magic rings you know simple tricks that people have seen time and time again he shows you exactly how it's done uh i think it turned out he wasn't anybody of name you know wasn't david copperfield it wasn't well i think that's <laughs> david part, part of why people are were mad at him right he was yeah. kind of like a second tier magician everyone's yeah. like man quit blowing up our spot yeah stop right. so uh but uh just it's it's a really interesting show it's a lot of fun uh they did a similar one where they did you know, pro wrestling's biggest secrets revealed as well and they did some nice, of that fun stuff nice uh, but uh, just, you know, if you're really interested in magic, even, you know, there's something fun to just try to puzzle out to see how they do it. See if you can catch them slipping something or palming something or planning something. Um, and there's a there's a couple of episodes of uh, Magic for Humans. There's one where he shows um, how he's planted these ideas uh, to get a expected result, oh, yeah, which yeah. is kind of fun. See, that's the stuff that I think it's cool to reveal, like how like mentalism uh, and that kind of subliminal uh, things, yeah, yeah. Yeah. the cold read type stuff. Because yeah. as 
you kind of have touched on this a little bit, Arthur. Maybe we'll get into it in analysis. But I, I don't, magic is like a white hat conning in some ways. Um, and I, somewhat famously, I don't know how known this is, but Nolan has a brother who was, who's a con man and is in prison for mm. conning. Um, so I think that aspect of his films having con, either con folk or people who are like, for whatever reason, removed from their families, like the, the recurring theme is interesting. But yeah, magic as like sort of, uh, I mean, yeah, you want money from people and you want to fool them, but it's, it's you know, it's it's more gentlemanly or whatever than yeah. con- conning would be considered. Yeah. I think it's, yeah, it's fun. So that's that's where my course would go. It would just be a celebration of, of magic and, and its kind of history and also... Uh, just the, I think the group ideology. If there's a really fun, anyway, I, I'm just gonna keep going. I mean, you, magic he, for you. He, well, he could even get rad. into Penn and Teller's bullshit. Oh right? yeah. yeah, yeah, that'd be a great one where they uh, de- uh, use magic and yeah. to get into like a uh, social issues yeah. and stuff. Yeah, yeah, it's really cool. That's a that's a great addition to this class. Awesome, I would dig that class so much. All right, Dalton, what class are you teaching, and how are you using the prestige? Uh, we will be t- taking a class together on dudes rock cinema. Just dudes being dudes rocking. Uh, for those of you not in the know, dudes rock. It's a meme right now. It's like, I don't know, uh, I guess sort of like a, a non-sexual uh, BDE sort of thing, right? Like, it's it's just, uh, hey, look at these guys. Don't they rock? Dudes rock. Dudes be rocking, huh? Um, and I think this will start to make sense as I lay forth uh, the films we'll be looking at, because it really is going to be, a, you know, a kind of a, a quick overview of uh, American uh, cinema and, and American masculinity within Hollywood films. Uh, kind of a standard class for this show, something that we, we get into a, a bit. But I, I think uh, I've tried to assemble uh, a selection of movies, mostly recent, uh, but I've tried to get some overlaps that I think are going to be interesting in terms of getting into uh, gender and masculinity within this kind of overarching, pretty typical Hollywood narrative. Because most Hollywood narratives are centered on dudes, usually white dudes, and how much they rock. And I, I think we're going to have fun kind of looking at how many different films uh, fit within this category, kind of despite differences in genre and tone. Uh, although I've mostly kind of erred on the side of uh, the things that are fairly straightforward in terms of uh, being dramas. Uh, so obviously we'll be looking at The Prestige, you know, this tale of uh, dueling personalities and obsessions and gamesmanship and one-upsmanship and dedication to craft and how uh, it, do- it doesn't matter if you have a half-life. As long as you get the cheers and the applause and the person that gets the biggest applause the loudest and gets to see it is the greatest winner of them all. It's great stuff. We're going to switch from that to Whiplash, too, I think, kind of getting into mm-hmm. that, the, the price of greatness and uh, your your evil father who's uh, meaner and better than your real dad who's a big softie that just wants to eat Swedish fish, fish with you at the movies. Uh, I think we'll have a lot of fun there playing with the idea of, like, um, you know, I think a Miles Teller character has some interesting stuff. Who is it? Paul? Oh, my God. Why can't I think of his name? Paul Reiser, uh, who plays his dad in Whiplash. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a moment where he kind of, like, chastises his dad for not being hard enough on him, basically. And I think that's really interesting. And I think that'll be a fun way to pivot into 310 to Yuma. Uh, so, you know, some more Christian Bale on the syllabus. And I think James Mangold uh, is a really... Uh, Nolan as well, I, I think I forgot to mention. I think the filmmakers I've picked are mostly like real dudes rock cinema with, you know, uh, you know, Whiplash and What's His Doodle, less so. Probably he's going to have got a more interesting filmography. Uh, but again, I think James Mangold makes a lot of movies about cops, a lot of movies that are westerns and is always kind of doing something interesting within those genres. Uh, and I think the, these intersection, uh, intersecting models uh, and modes of masculinity within the Western, which is, you know, machismo turned up to 11, I think is really interesting, again, especially the dynamic between Christian Bale and um, um, old Aussie that throws bones at people. Oh, my God, I'm farting on names today. 
uh, Russell Crowe. Yeah, thank you. you I'm just batting zeros. Uh, but again, the interplay between those two characters and the Logan Lerman teen character, I think great stuff, great stuff. Uh, then we've got to look at Point Break, obviously, one oh, of the most yeah. classic Dudes Rock films. Uh, Catherine Bigelow, one of our great Dudes Rock uh, auteurs. Um, again, I think we could probably take, uh, as we're touching on each of these filmmakers, I think we'll probably take some time to kind of look at the arc of their career and how they are gravitate towards stories like this. I mean, Bigelow, we've talked about most of her filmography on this show, uh, and I think Point Break is kind of the er example. And again, I like uh, these kind of dueling uh, masculine personalities uh, throughout these courses because I think these types of films allow you to see uh, different, uh, you know, again, modes of masculinity, and again, you've got Johnny Utah as the all-American cop boy, and you've got Bodie as the, you know, the surfer outlaw. Um, different, you know, what, what's cooler? Um, putting on boots on people's necks, or you know, trying to run from the boots. Uh, it's fun stuff. Uh, cow, cops versus robbers, classic type business there. Um, and I think we're going to end on Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Nice. QT, another uh, dudes rock filmmaker. Even when his movies are about <laughs> ladies, they're about how ladies who do dude stuff rock. Um, I don't good good movie, uh, but I think it, it's the funniest on here. But I think it kind of uh, whether uh, with intent or not, I think it kind of examines dudes rocking and how it's not always great, <laughs> uh, and how when they rock, it's usually because they actually accidentally killed uh, somebody who was going to do a kill. Uh, I don't know. Interesting movie. I think it gets into the toxicity of trying to keep up appearances for people uh, with the Rick Dalton character in some interesting ways. Uh, so this class will probably also read. Uh, you know, there's plenty of works have been cited in the history of the show. Um, there's a really famous one in our, uh, well, in the book uh, that we all had for the class we met at. Uh, we've referenced a lot. Uh, it kind of gets into, I can't think of the name of the author or what it's called, but it gets into uh, male bodies and the damage done to them on oh, screen. Oh, Richard Dyer's, yeah. Yeah. Essay, I know what you're talking about. I yeah. can't think of the title either. Yeah, but it's a lot about masculinity, especially in Hollywood cinema, is about taking violence onto your body uh, and that kind of stuff and your your willingness to do violence. We'll look into that. We'll look into... Uh, you know, there's some some great. Uh, I'll probably steal some stuff from a class I took about the wire at, at UCO, uh, and use some kind of uh, s- some of those materials about uh, the ways in which law enforcement and outlaw uh, masculinities are constructed, uh, and how like cultural cachet is is used within those spheres. I think it'll be good stuff. We'll have fun with it. Very cool, very cool. Thank you very much for that, Mr. Dalton Stewart. Um, I am not teaching a film studies course this time. I would be using the prestige uh, during a week in which I was teaching a theology course that I will never, ever actually get to teach uh, because it is challenging because I would love to do a uh, a course on radical theology, which is a theology that is uh, friendly to atheism. And uh, so uh, one of the books that we would read is uh, John Caputo's great The Insistence of God. Uh, Part of his thesis is that God does not exist, God insists, and that doesn't mean God's not real, which is challenging uh, as, you know, mental pretzels for one to wrap one's brains around. Uh, Also, Slavoj Zizek's The Fragile Absolute, which I think is a great uh, little uh, book, and then specifically during the week in which I would have my students watch The Prestige, they would read uh, Peter Rollins's book, The Divine Magician, and uh, talk about because he makes great use of the three moves in uh, the, that are described in the very first of the film, the pledge, the turn, and the prestige, and uses them as a methodology to sort of thinking about um, spiritual practice in the world. I'm sorry, Dustin, I think you do mean The Pledge. The time and the prestige. And the prestige. Um, and so uh, I want to explain more about what that is, but I think that means we have to get down to business. It's business. Yeah.
Business. That's right, dear listener, and that business is, as always, analysis. So, yeah, Dustin, explain to people what the hell you're just talking about So uh, now uh, that we're getting into analysis. I want to talk specifically about Peter Rollins' thesis uh, with uh, magic and uh, using uh, those three moves to sort of think a a way through to spirituality. And so I'm actually going to do an on-air magic trick here in just a moment. And uh, But the, the beginning idea that Rollins raises is that um, perhaps in the 16th century or so, one of the popes recognized that the phrase hocus pocus was being used by many magicians, which he thought may have been a mocking of a hawkish corpus, which is a moment in uh, the mass in which the body, uh, the bread and the wine are trans. Um, Golly. Transubstantiated? Transubstantiated. I could not come up with the word. I was like, transfigured is not I can't believe I got to help you with that <laughs> yeah, one. That you. was fun. Thank you for giving me a theology word. Transfigured. Uh, trans- I did it anyway. Transubstantiated into this. Uh, I mean, hey, it is transfiguration, isn't it, though? And so, uh, again, to think about the moves here, and so I'm going to do this magic trick here. Uh, with you guys uh, uh-huh. watching here, Dustin is and holding a dime. I ha- you want to hold the dime for just a, a second to make sure this that it's a coin. By it, the way, it is a dime coin. Okay, I'm looking at it. I don't think this is a real dime. Um, says it's uh, minted this year. I don't know about it that. May, 2020. I, I may have made it myself. All right. Well, we'll see about this with my press. And so, what'd you do? That's that's the pledge, right? I can't present... believe he's inviting dark forces to this table where we come to podcast together. Here I am presenting an ordinary object that we'd all be familiar with uh-huh. and we'd all recognize. And uh, so, you present that, and you know, uh, you take it and you might rub it, you know, here against the table a little bit, and then take it. And you know, rub it against your elbow. Just spreading COVID everywhere. COVID. Oh, right COVID now. everywhere! And then, of course, you know, you, something like that, you might repeat the trick. And so you're taking. Okay, he's rubbing it against rubbing, the table again. He's again, messing up the mics. Rubbing it hard. He's touching on his my elbow. elbow. I think he just palmed something. I'm not sure. And and, and, and it's and, gone. And then it's gone. All right. Well, he would have to have palmed it earlier if he did palm it. Wow, that was tricky. So 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 now now the thing has disappeared. But now, of course, the pre- that's the turn, right? He's he has he, you got to make it come back now. So, Otherwise, so, it's not a trick. You just ate a dime. And he put it under his coffee cup like a trickster. When I picked up the coffee cup. Now, now, of course, the trick is I, I actually stuck the uh, dime to the back of my neck when I was rubbing my elbow. The and you've time. had a dime under your coffee for quite some for time. For some time, I've been so desperately wanting to take a swig of coffee. It's been, I'm suffering. So wait, wait one moment, please. I thought I got through the rest of this effort. Nice French press Arthur made for us rather quickly. I was surprised that I beat you to um, the, the refills. Yeah, and, and, but the, the the point is, though, something ordinary, but it doesn't really disappear. And, of course, this is a double um, of the dimes, much like in the film, and that's sort of spoilery because we, t- we find out that Christian Bale's got a twin and yes. a double here. But it's hard not to talk about. There's a lot of fun double performance stuff going on. I love it. But, um, and I, again, I don't know if that was a very, it's a very simple trick, and if you're watching closely, yeah. you'll pick it up very, very quick. Did you see it? Did you? I, I saw you. Okay. Put it on your neck. Oh, okay. I should explain <laughs> what yeah. I saw because yeah, you, this is a you saw him touch video. his hand to his neck. Yeah, yeah. Well, and I try to touch it the first time and then do it again. So you had the right angle for me. Yeah, yeah. I yeah. couldn't see you were messing with the back of your neck. I was watching your hand and your elbow, and I thought you had like clawed it a little bit with your left hand. But no, no, no. no and to such. be fair, I've been watching a lot of close-up magic. So yeah, I've been sure, sure. For yeah, you've been practicing like this. for this all yeah. week. But but the idea is that in uh, I've been practicing that. To get scared by magic, I uh, could have very likely run out of the room. I uh, screaming witch. I do like. To, it's my favorite thing to do. I love to react very big to magic. I think <laughs> it's very funny. Uh, anyway, uh, so what Rollins' thesis is is that maybe the magicians are right, and mm-hmm. that you know what we're doing in communion is absolutely a magic trick. 
And uh, rather than trying to assume that it's real magic and I'm really vanishing a dime and then making it appear under my coffee cup, to embrace the, uh, the illusion of it and to move forward. And so his idea is that simply you take something simple and ordinary like the communion bread and wine, you consume it to make it disappear, and no, it does not reappear, it does not transubstantiate, it does not turn into something else, but what you do is you look out into the rest of the world even though that thing is now missing, the sacred has now, this is the death of God moment, the sacred is now gone, that there is meaning and beauty and love and life to be found out in the world and to embrace and live amongst those kinds of things. Uh, rather than looking for something you know, ineffable uh, and something supernatural, rather than just embrace the natural in order to accomplish that. So that's sort of his thesis there. And uh, what part... Well, this uh, is, now we're getting into how this kind of impacts the characters within this film, I yes. think, a little bit, right? Because it's the inability of a Angier? Yeah, Angier to, like, accept that Borden's not up to anything, like, crazy. He's just been using a double the whole time. Like, everybody's right. been telling him. Well, and the... so he, like, invokes uh, science fiction into this film because he can't accept the, like, the magic of the natural world. Right. Well, the monstrosity uh, that Rollins would argue is to keep on perpetuating the trick, uh, to, to, to make it happen, to, to insist on that kind of thing. And what you'll end up doing is killing birds and people. And, yeah. And, and, well, and so what, what the church... Or it's the, what, well, it's the thing that eats... Because, uh, you know, Tangier starts not when he's... He's like, ah, oh, I found a way to do the dove trick where I don't have to kill a bird. And by the end of the film, he's, you know, uh, turned his soul into a photocopy. Right. Yeah. And 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 that's monster, you know, and yeah. that that that's the sort of like the way in which religion goes off on the wrong track, according to Rollins, and rather than a more appropriate right track. So, that would be the radical theology approach using the prestige, and sort of had to divide it weirdly from my syllabus to the other part. But that's I think would be fun and interesting. So uh, it gets into kind of the form stuff of this film, yeah. right? Like the the narrative trickery of Nolan, where he he is trying to. I don't know, it seems very, you know, we talked about uh, Bale as this kind of uh, performer who takes himself very seriously because he knows acting's a dumb job. Uh, and Nolan kind of seems, he seems to be one of those people who's like, the arts are dumb, so I have to treat it like a, a journeyman, even though I'm clearly, like, got a, a, the brain of an artist in a real dorky way, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. uh, and I think that is his insistence, of like, yeah, movies are dumb. You don't know how the sausage is made. These people are terrible. Why do you think I don't have a, I don't let people, like, get to me when I'm at, uh, home with my family. Do you guys know about this? Uh, you can't get no. Nolan doesn't have a cell phone. If he's at home with his family, you can't get him. He's got office hours. He's got. This is when he's available. Uh, and so yeah, I think there's very much a, a thread of just like you know these movies are bad. Movies aren't good. But he he knows that the magic is there and they're fun and people like him and if you do it right, it feels good. Yeah. For sure, for sure. Um, I do want to talk about that cinematic sort of uh, substrate there. So, okay, the, you mean the the prestige is like kind of a metaphor for movies, or do you mean the like uh, the narrative time? The jumpery? Tesla versus uh, oh, got that the, that aspect. Yeah, yeah. I mean, narratively, I think it's interesting the way it, it plays with time, and that the movie itself is structured as a pledge, turn, and prestige. Yeah. Then with an explanation tacked on the end. So weird mm. epilogue. Yeah, but no, I was thinking more along. So Nikolai Tesla versus. Uh, Thomas Edison mm -hmm. and uh, this idea of the alternating current versus the DC current and sort of all that that went on and a big part of Hollywood history was the same sort of competitive patenting of uh, different devices and so the reason why we have movies in California the reason why is because Thomas Edison uh, uh, patented most of the motion picture technology in terms of uh, exhibition and in terms of actual just photographic capture and he would send his guys, as in the 
depicted in the film to burn down Tesla's thing. He would send guys with guns. They would shoot equipment out on set, you know, while people were out and about trying to shoot a movie. Classic industrialists. And uh, so I, I find that sort of competitiveness, you know, that is going on there. And nobody who knows film studies or film history at all is going to watch this competition inside a movie and go, yeah, and that's how people, you know. And again, we end up seeing Hugh Jackman going off to the West as, Cal- as Colorado rather than California. California? Ca- California. Yeah. I, I turned into Schwarzenegger. You did for a bit there. Uh, rather than the other. But it's the same idea of this sort of competitiveness and patenting tricks and mm-hmm. knowing these things and yeah. owning the thing as a, uh, a a way towards capital. Well, and that's so much of uh, of the plot of this film, right? Is who will control the like the, the property, the intellectual property of these tricks? Like, uh, despite all of the the deaths and imprisonments and forced retirings of magicians, however they come, that that's such a big part of this is who controls the rights to continue to do this. Who who owns the ability to uh, make the tricks? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and that that it is a, a it's 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 a financial empire. It's not yeah. the, these guys are not doing it just because they love the applause. I mean, there's that moment where Jackman hates that he is down Under below stage, during yeah. his vanish. Um, this initial transported man version. Yeah. Well, um, and then there's uh, Borden. Right, half of him is just doing it for the money, and the other one loves being a magician. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's even more made concrete uh, as a like a plot device and a theme within that side of the film. Yeah, and, and so yeah, that that that, that sort of de- you know is an industrial art. Um, yeah. cinema is, and uh, the the industrialization of this particular art of magic, I think, is just an interesting sort of interplay um, that's working on between the two different films. Speaking of that introduction of industrialization to magic that comes with Tesla in this film, I sure do love the uh, the cat déjà vu uh, to signal that uh, science fiction has entered. Uh, the the frame, I love that. Mm-hmm. I think it's great. Yeah. As a Matrix fan, I really got I got was very tickled by that. It is it is a cool sort of homage moment there, and I I'm yeah. a, I was a fan as well. I uh, totally missed that uh, or not made that connection on previous viewings for whatever mm-hmm. reason. Yeah. Um. So let, let's move into more thematic kind of stuff. Yes. Uh, from from there, uh, let's just I mean let's talk about all the dead women. Yeah, I actually uh, wrote that down. Yeah, lots of dead women. Uh, so here's a thought experiment because I get it right, like. <sighs> You, I know it's based on a novel. Uh, I assume that's probably a factor of that. We understand the trope of fridging, right? Like, people are looking for a thing to motivate a character to break bad, to, like, cast aside their uh, tendency to follow societal rules. So I just was thinking, like, uh, what the thought experiment is, like, what other than the loss of a spouse, like, would cause a character or you uh, to fully break bad? Uh, and on the flip side, do you think there's a universe in which the death of a spouse in some films could, like, cause the opposite? Like, it's might never, go it, good. Yeah, yeah it rarely it feels like the catalyst for, like, uh, bettering somebody's life within cinema. Um, I mean, I'm sure there's a couple of examples I'm forgetting about. I guess P.S. I Love You, um, which always makes me think of uh, the 30 Rock bit where uh, Liz is crying about watching P.S. I Love You, and she says nobody should have to be married to Gerard Butler. It's funny joke, <laughs> but yeah, I, like just as a thought experiment about how we tell stories and the sort of frameworks we we put our narratives within, it sure is a well that gets gone to a whole whole lot. And I'm not just talking about movies; like really within all uh, narrative frameworks, because it introduces conflict right up top. Yeah, I don't know about breaking good from that. Um, there's a line in uh, Paul Schrader's uh, Transcendental Cinema that goodness is boring. Well, sure, and and so I, I think you know it, it's harder to do. Yeah. Because you've got to basically show them being a dirtbag for a while. And, and the story then is motivating that the death is sort of the catalyst there at the end of, you yeah. know, have your hallmark happy ending. Um, Which not, might even be worse. 
Maybe. Yeah, maybe that would be a worse trope, but that was one we did too much. Yeah. Anyway, well, sorry. Yeah, I didn't yeah, mean to the wife's got to die so I can be a good person. Yeah, that's that might be a worse trope. But again, I just thought, well, and that's why I kept it, you know, gender neutral with the spouse. There's some fun movies that have played with the convention and, you know, flipped the roles around, like that Diane Kruger movie from Germany. Uh, it's supposed to be really good. Uh, her, her family gets uh, uh, pipe bombed or something. I can't remember. Uh, by by Nazis in Germany. Uh, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I can't remember. She, I know she goes. With Liam Neeson's on him. I mean, I guess the specific Breaking Bad, right? That yeah. You get a cancer diagnosis, so you. Which is a different motivator, sure. Is, is it, but is this sort of a self refrigeration, you know, with a time delay? Well, and I think that kind of plays into uh, the class that I was talking about, right? The ways in which we deal with masculinity and these stories of conflict. It, it is the 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 idea that um, mortality has caught up with you too, you fool. Uh, and you're you have no legacy to leave behind, uh, which is always couched in providing for your family. But really, it just means a big ass tower that you built for yourself. Um, and we get that uh, all over this movie, uh, especially with uh, because all Angiers has is the monument to his ma- magicry uh, and the destruction of Borden. Absolutely, you were going to say Arthur. Oh, I thought you had a face that. Said I think he <laughs> was just enjoying the the talk. Oh well, man. I know. I'm, Sorry to disappoint. I'm not used to have, <laughs> having that that happy feedback. Um, I, I so rarely say good things. Uh, it, it's a very American thing, though, right? This ambition at any cost, and however you like frame it, uh, the the uh, inciting incident, whether it's you know a Walt uh, White cancer diagnosis or uh, you know the the fridging of what is the name of uh, the the actress you said Piper Piper Paramore. Paramore. Uh, who weird career. Uh, good actress and stuff I've yeah. seen her in. Anyway, um, yeah, wh- whatever it is, it does seem to be a great excuse to put your character right in the heart of uh, the most American thing ever, which is uh, bootstrapping yourself so hard that you end up eating your own ass. Yeah. And, and I mean, again, it's always death, though. It's either self-death, death of a child instead of mm-hmm. a, a spouse, you know, perhaps, which may be a little less gendered in some ways. I guess in First Reformed, it's kind of the death of somebody who he felt responsible for. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and so, so I, still a kind of a paternalistic instinct within that yeah. jumping off point. And, and again, motivations for revenge. Um, you know, there are there is obviously the use of rape in terms of the rape revenge film, and mm-hmm. so that, that. But it is it is always going to be a heinous tragedy. And it, it seems to me, though, in, you know, real life may be much more boring than than fictional life, and that's probably part of it. But most of our motivations for doing the bad things that we do are pretty mundane. Most times it's yeah. just because we wanted to. Mm-hmm. So there's I mean, I think falling down is the probably most natural example where I'm just fed up with traffic. Schumacher it's really hot. did kind of... Yeah. Uh, that that movie's a mixed bag overall, but he sure did see, see something a little further out than other people. Yeah. For sure, for yeah. sure. Yeah, but it, that is a, that is a mo- mo- moment where he's motivated by something. I guess, again, mystery itself can be a motivator. I mean, that sure. you know, sort of expand things out a little bit. You know, just, yeah. I don't know... I don't know, so I'm going to yeah, find the, out. The Lovecraft motive of, mm-hmm. uh, of du jour, I guess. They just thought, oh, the knowledge must 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 have. I, I think just that natural game of one-upsmanship that is very, you know, it's the through line of this movie, is a great motivator, right? I mean, that, you know, I don't want to be one up by this guy, this schlub who's not a performer. Why should he be taking all of my, you know, and that really ties into it. But Totally. We, you know, you could get around killing off Piper Parabo and just use that as your through line. I mean... I think that idea of not necessarily it's the Walter White thing. You start not necessarily greedy, but that kind of starts to consume you. Mm-hmm. Is I want to be the one. I want to be the greatest magician in London. I want to be the greatest magician in the world. And, and I think that's the 
good enough motivator. You know, yeah, I, it could have just broken his leg earlier. I mean, honestly, it is could have been something where totally Hugh Jackman was dangling and he broke his I, leg. I mean, that's the I mean that's the basis of most sports movies, right? We want to be the best team. Yeah. I've got to be the best fighter. I've got to be the best insert. You know, athlete here. It, it certainly seems structured in such a way as to like, because you know, so much of this is is Tangier is going to get his hands dirty, um, and so much You're of that call him Tangier the whole show. Yeah. Is it what is it? Tangerine and Tangier. Who cares? It's, it's like Algier with an N. Well, that's why I keep wanting to say Algiers. <laughs> um, so anyway, the great. What's his name? The great. Uh, the great Danton. The great, yeah, the great Danton. Danton. We'll do the great Danton, which is a fun magician name. Uh, yeah, it, it seems like it, it ha- wants to get so much mileage out of this idea that he won't get his hands dirty, and you know the death of his spouse only like motivates him further to like be a, a good like ethical magician uh, who doesn't do bird murder. Um, you don't want to get involved in the nuance of the bird law behind uh, all the birds that get killed in magic. I tell you what, in this journey of him becoming you know this this shadow of himself that does all these murders wantonly and without thinking twice. I don't know. Like, I'm, I'm with you, Arthur. I think the idea that just, like, being consumed by wanting to own somebody is perfectly fine. I don't know that we need it. Uh, especially because of the Rebecca Hall, like, suicide that happens later. And it's such mm-hmm. a thankless part, and she's so good in it. Yeah. Uh, Scarlett Johansson, not very good, an equally thankless role. Uh, and that's kind of the problem, right? There's, all, <laughs> there's not a lot of good roles for the ladies of this. Not in a uh, Nolan movie. Well, but they're good. Not they're all great Nolan performances. Movie. I can't. I'm. I guess I like Anne Hathaway and uh, and Jessica Chastain and Interstellar. Okay, but yeah, that's okay. one, uh, one. Uh, it's yeah, I don't know. It's it's bothersome, but again, we've got double double the bail uh, and double the Jackman to get to. I love drunk uh, actor Jackman. It's good stuff. Yeah, it's fun. yeah, I do too. I'm a big fan of that. Uh, all right, are there other big thematics that we want to tackle with the prestige? I mean, you kind of touched on the 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 industrialism and modernism stuff with uh, you know the Tesla and and Je- not Jefferson <laughs> Edison uh, debacle that happened at the end of the 1800s, and I think that kind of sufficiently covers the competition stuff we were talking about. It is just a very westward expansion type thing. I mean, it's mm-hmm. it's all there in the text of the film, and I, I don't think there's anything more to be said about it. I just do think it is interesting. Uh, the time period and the ways in which that kind of works to the themes uh, that the, the film is wanting to play with. Yeah, for sure. Uh, I guess the last thing I want to say is that clearly Batman beats Wolverine. Uh, shut your mouth. <laughs> uh, no way. Not a chance. <laughs> well, you talk. I mean, you want to talk about the metatextual nature. I mean, kind of hinted at it that Christian Bale is this kind of Nolan insert who's motivated to create the next technical Marvel, which mm-hmm. becomes the thesis of his entire cinematic career as he shoots scenes in IMAX and then shoots the entire thing in IMAX and he has to constantly one-ups in himself as a as a director, as a filmmaker and all the while trying to buck the system of the entertainment industry while also having to be a part of the entertainment industry. No chairs with your names on them. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Whatever. Chairgate 2020. <laughs> the biggest issue of 2020. Truly. <laughs> all right, well, let's render a verdict then on the prestige. What do we think? Shelf or trash with the prestige? What do you say, Arthur? Yeah, I, I'll shelf it. I, I really do love this movie, and I'm just the whole element of the magic part of it is captivating enough for me, so, yeah. For sure. What do you say, Dalton? Soft shelf. It's a great Saturday uh, afternoon movie. It was a great matinee when it came out. I assume I didn't get to see this one in theaters, but that is kind of like, in my mind, the space that it occupies. It is a... A perfect rainy day movie. Um, but Soft Shelf, you know, it's it's kind of in the middle for Nolan, I think, if you want to get into his, his filmography, there's more fun stuff, weirder stuff. Um, this is fun, though. Um, it's a good time. 
Um, yeah, that's where I'm at with it. All right. Uh, highly rewatchable, therefore shelf. I there mean, I, I would just, because I would repeat view, just for fun. I mean, I wouldn't use it a lot, wouldn't teach it very often or anything like that. It's not the most, you know, like you say, the most interesting or whatever. But, yeah, I'm so, so stinking watchable. So, there you go, dear listener. Those what do you think, listener? Where are you going? Uh, you can tell us at good underscore trash on Twitter. That's where you can find us. Um, you don't have to find us individually. Who cares? I'm not going to give you that information right now. Long form feedback. You can send us emails, goodtrashgenrecast at gmail.com. Uh, you go to the website, goodtrashmedia.com to, you know, find these episodes. If you don't want to put it in your brain in a podcatcher, find some written articles, find the other stuff we, uh, our friends make and put on the website. Uh, Dan Wade, real fun guy here in Oklahoma City, is making the show The Wheel of Randy about the, the career of Randy Newman and his wonderful uh, jaunty tunes. Check that out. Uh, if you want to help support us, you can go to patreon.com forward slash GTM. Uh, we're chomping at the bit. Wait, that's not how you say it, is it? Is it chomping? Champing. Chomping, chomping, at, the bit. chomping at the bit. I heard recently. It's They're stamping at the bit. Who cares? Stamping in the stable. We're all getting excited. It's all horse analogies. It's all horse analogies. The point that is, horse has already left the barn, stop. guys. Oh, my God. I'm going to get through this promo. We're getting excited. It sounds like you're beating a dead oh, horse. I hate you both so much. <laughs> we're going to play Monster of the Week as soon as we wrap what we're doing right now. We're very excited about it. If you want to hear us play Monster of the Week together, it's it's we're having a good time. Go to patreon.com forward slash GTM. Uh, you know, you can get in there, listen to that, you can pick a movie, depending on how much money you get, give to give to us. It's fun stuff, you know. Help us keep the lights on and all that. Yeah, we're not giving you money. No, we're not. No. We're not. Uh if you catch me doing something stupid though, I might give somebody else money. I'd make that pledge. Anytime I really <laughs> jam my foot in my mouth, I'll, I'll pledge you give 20 bucks somewhere. Your choice, listener. We need a Dalton my jar wallet. so that anytime he talks, he just has to put money in the jar. That's a good We'd idea. be rich. It's good. Yes. Filthy rich. <laughs> All right. Well, that's that's the that's the plugs. Well, there you go, dear listener. You keep. Well, what, what what are we doing next? Yeah, we should probably announce that next week. We're going to be doing the uh, early two thousands masterpiece swim fan. Yes, the uh, opposite side of the coin for bring it on. <laughs> More Jesse Bradford. Uh, the uh, the full screen standard def version is available on Amazon Prime. I love for, that. Uh, free. I'm so going to watch it. Uh, it adds quite a bit to the trashiness of the film. Uh, very excited to talk about swim fan and uh, yeah, check it out and uh, we'll. Watch along with us, if you will. There you go, dear listener. You keep watching. We'll keep talking. We'll see you all next time. I'm not afraid. I'm not afraid.